This episode of the Top Soul Podcast is brought to you by Continuum Ag and Stout Seeds. Continuum Ag is a soil health intelligence company helping farmers globally monetize and improve their soil health. Stout Seed is an Iowa-based seed distributor that handles cover crops and forage seeds and distributes throughout the Midwest. Well, thanks everyone for joining this uh, episode of the Top Soul Podcast. Doing a little one-on-one here today with the legend, Dr. Rick Haney. And there's lots of materials on Rick out there. He's got lots of different YouTube videos. We've had him on, you know, multiple of our different shows and that kind of stuff. And we're just going to do a quick episode here um, and just catch up on some stuff. I kind of want to go a little bit different angle with some of this. And Rick, hopefully most, you know, of the listeners know you. If you don't know who Rick Haney is, uh, he's got lots of materials out there. Retired USDA soil scientist, uh, his farming background, but developed the Haney soil health test and now working with the Regen Ag Lab, still working on a lot of soil data. And that's where we work with them on uh, doing a lot with the Haney soil health test. But like I said, Rick, I want to kind of take this on a little bit different angle and go down some different routes with you versus just the normal, like, what's the Haney test and why did you do and that kind of stuff. We're not going to talk about that because you already have a (laughs) lot of material out there. So instead, my first question is, there's a lot happening in agriculture, but if you had a magic wand to do something to help farmers in agriculture, what would you do with that magic wand? I would uh, get them the right credit for the carbon that they're sequestering. I would get them better fertility recommend- recommendations deeper in the profile hmm. and, you know, try to, he- and also try to help them if they're doing cover crops, figure out what species they actually need to be spending their money on to get the maximum benefit. The actual outcomes. Yeah. Choose the right species and stuff. That's going to utilize that as an offensive management tool. Yep. That's all I talk about a lot about. Okay. So I do want to hit on carbon. The carbon offset stuff is definitely fizzling as we record this here today, at least in my opinion. Um, I'm just not seeing a lot of movement forward. There's the momentum is definitely done when it comes to carbon offsets, creating carbon credits. And a lot of the movements towards carbon insetting, scope three reductions, carbon intensity, that kind of thing. But, you know, you mentioned like, hey, we need to get farmers adequately compensated for their carbon. Dig into that a little bit more. And what do you think needs to actually happen when it comes to this carbon conversation in ag? Well, carbon is a tricky one because, you know, carbon drives the system. I mean, we're talking about floating in the air and then ultimately getting into the soil. Well, plants do that and you know we need to be able to and it's not a static system i think one of the things we're missing and that's one of the things i like about the carbon intensity thing because it's trying to bring a whole a whole picture together right but the carbon part of it is i mean we we have this dynamic carbon when i say dynamic carbon i'm talking about carbon that's actively being processed in the soil that's uh, might be water soluble might be uh, co2 bound it's still in the soil but that's part of the mechanism to get carbon sequestered. It's got to go through the microbes and it's got to get uh, captured by them, by the plants. And it's actively in the soil doing its thing. And we, we ignore that completely. And, and I think that that should be included in, uh, in our carbon. I think most farmers, if you were to ask most farmers, what are the most needed elements to for yield and to grow corn, they would say nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, but really it's carbon, hydrogen, oxygen 
with carbon being the most important. Maybe dig into that a little bit more on like, why are we not having that understanding? Obviously the carbon to nitrogen is related, but for the most part, we just kind of skip over that piece of it. Well, that's because we're so, we, we just, it's easy to ignore because it, because the system's on autopilot, right? So the carbon is sequestered by the plant. It comes in there, you know, we just, we kind of ignore that because that's not necessarily a bottleneck, right? It's the NP and K shortage that we think we have that seems to block it. So we just kind of don't think about carbon. But now with all this focus on carbon, instead of just looking at static carbon, we're, you know, we're trying to get at, well, wait a minute, if this dynamic fraction is doing its thing, then we can expect, you know, that is carbon that's been captured from the air. The whole idea here is to capture carbon from the air and get it in the ground or get it in something else. Yeah. And that's being done. And we're only, we're only measuring a portion of it. Correct. Yeah. Only like the final piece. We're skipping yeah. the whole middle, the whole dynamic portion. Talking, uh, obviously I talked with our buddy, uh, Dr. Jerry Hatfield about this a lot. And he says that when, as long as crops have water, the typical most limiting element to yield is actually carbon. That they a lot of them they run out of carbon, run out of the ability to produce those sugars, and maybe that's where like the lack of nutrient density, the lack of bricks, because bricks you know leading to those the sugar production. But any take on that as far as our crop actually not necessarily having enough carbon even as it exists today? Well, yeah, and you know. Anything Jerry says, you talk about the legend. That, that'd be Jerry. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that we and we see this in some of these sample results when during, especially during the growing season, when we when we look at you know Haney test results, we see you know rising and falling uh, respiration, rising and falling weoc, yeah. and you know that there's a reason for that. And so as those systems come online and the carbon got to be captured by the let's just use corn as an example by, by that plant and then move through that plant into the roots and then out so that the microbes can utilize it and then you get this beneficial response yeah and all that all that needs to be accounted for um i think to, to really get it at the carbon yeah the whole dynamic because it in my eyes it's still drawn down it's not up in the atmosphere anymore right. but it's down in cycle where we actually can use it well, you said it uh, earlier. It, we're measuring the end product. Yeah. Well, the end product is not <laughs> because this thing just doesn't happen and stop, and then we're done. Right. It happens all the time. It's it's always happening. It's faster in the warmer months, slower in the winter months, but it's always happening. And so, instead of just measuring the end product, we should be measuring the whole process. And the end product in ag that they're mostly wanting us to quantify for context for everyone listening to this, the end product is typically the soil organic carbon, which on average is organic matter is 58% soil organic carbon. So for farmers, like think of it, basically that final measurable carbon is a component of your organic matter. Um, but yeah, there's so much active carbon. There's carbon in the above ground biomass, the below ground biomass and all the microbes, all these other pieces that we don't actually directly quantify when we're looking at that final stored away, stable carbon, but stable to a point to your, like your, your point, it's always dynamic. It's always changing. However, there are other carbon sequestration methodologies like with inorganic carbon and enhanced rock weathering 
or with the carbon capture and pumping the carbon as a liquid down below ground and storing it that way, or like other ocean-based things. There's other methods that are being really pushed to really lock away that carbon out of the agricultural system. I've got some concerns on what this can mean for the long term of feeding the world and producing crops, but what's your take on that first? Well, one of the things that we we ignore is the carbon stored in the microbial biomass. So yeah. That's a large pool. A lot. We and we don't account for that at all. And so, you know, I think and it's all tied together. So if your carbon is being captured at a fairly rapid rate, your microbial community in your soils very dynamic and moving, you're getting a lot more carbon sequestered in just the microbial biomass, you know, that we're completely ignoring. That yeah. that's ultimately going to end up in the stable pool, you know, back and forth because the the organic matter that we measure is not all static. I mean, part of that's in the system, part of that's driving. Yeah. But unless we add the dynamic component, component, we don't really understand. If we just look at organic matter as as carbon sequestration, then we we've missed half the picture. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, it's going to be continuously in cycle and breaking down, and, and in, we can track in that. Flux. We can track that cycle. That's the important part. We yeah, can, that and that's part of like the water extracted organic carbon from the Heaney test, the biological activity that's respiring back out, and then that buildup of organic matter. And you and I have had some conversations on this, and and what I what I've got to wrap my head around better is that the water extractable organic carbon in the Heaney test is a one time instant in time of what's the the water extractable active carbon that's in there and the organic matter analysis is a one time what's the organic matter number that's in there but the co2 burst is a 24 hour analysis of what's coming out of that soil over time so we have to basically figure out like there's calculations essentially right that we've got to end up doing to evaluate what is the yeah and and these different pools the fun part about that is <clears throat> what you just said, that's a one-time extraction for WEOC. Yeah. Respiration gets to chew on it for 24 hours. So what, what intrigued me and what I've always found interesting is that max score. So it's your mm-hmm. respiration divided by your food source, your water extractor carbon. And if that goes over 100%, I'll never forget the first time I sent some of those results out a thousand years ago. A guy was like, how can you have more respiration than a food source? And I said, well, <laughs> you know, the 24-hour versus one-time thing. But what What's important about that is the microbes see more than we're extracting, sure. or they couldn't blow off more than CO2. Yeah. So yeah. that's an indicator of what is happening in that soil that we see. There's there's more there that we're seeing with that measure. So that max score, that's microbially active carbon, one of the parameters in the in the Heaney test, one that we that we show that yeah, basically if you have a really high max score, that means your microbes are just cranking, right? Yep. They're eating that food up and there's potential that they could end up eating the house if you don't well there is there is how we should think about it. If if you look at like two percent uh EOC, that's twenty thousand part per million. And we're looking at respiration rates of like 150, let's say that's, which is really good. That's going to take a while to chew through 20. So I've never been concerned that we're, we're sucking all the carbon out of it. It it looks that way just because of the methodology, just because of the one time. Just because of how the units actually work and stuff. So it's how the units and the test are represented, but we've got to interpret it at a broader scale. 
God. Yeah, because I did a study in when I was at uh, USDA where I kept extracting carbon with water. I just did a water extract, extracted it out, put it back, the sample back in the oven, and dried it down, extracted it again with water. Did that over and over and over. Carbon kept coming. Wow. That was, you know, the first one, obviously, was the biggest one, but the carbon kept coming. Yeah. And, and so the thing that we don't, that we really have a hard time getting our head around is uh, enzymatic properties that the enzymes do a great job that we don't really have a good test that I know of yet to estimate that. Yeah. What the effect on carbon sequestration is for microbial enzymes. Mm. That would be an interesting uh yeah. And hopefully some of the DNA stuff will maybe get to that at some point. Yeah, I think we can get there. We've we've been playing around, you know, with the biomakers analysis with the total nutrient digest with the two different depths of soil analysis. You were hitting on some of that. But um another thought on this. So as we're what I keep, you know, preaching to farmers is hey, there's all this talk about carbon and locking away carbon and stuff. Carbon's the most important element in growing our crops. We need to get that carbon in cycle in our soils and it because it's not gonna be in the atmosphere anymore. And part of it is we've been down this road uh, 20 some years ago with sulfur. We used to have all the sulfur and acid rain in the atmosphere. Now we don't have that anymore because of the Clean Air Act. Now we have to buy sulfur and apply that to our farms. Do you feel like we're on a similar trend here? Or is that like too aggressive thinking? No, I I, I agree with that. And, and I think one of the things that's interesting is, is when we get uh, soils that have similar organic matter right but you have one that has higher respiration you know higher we and all this stuff i'm not all that concerned with farmers really want to see their organic matter levels increase year every year and that's fine but if you've got uh three or four percent organic matter in in the same soils and one's highly functioning the other isn't that's the more important thing yeah is the high function Function. So I don't worry so much about organic matter as I do is that organic matter functioning and providing nutrients and release for crops and helping farmers not put on so much fertilizer. The function piece is one of the things I want to hit on with, you know, what you call calibrating the Haney test per field and providing recommendations per field. And obviously we're working on being able to do a lot of that um, and have you involved in some of that work where we have the ability to look at what are the Haney results showing? What's the fertilizer we're applying? What's the yield that's actually coming out of it? And let's fine tune the recommendations field by field. Maybe dig into that a little bit more on what you see as the opportunity there uh, for farmers to be able to manage that fertility or other inputs even more field by field, looking at the function. To Well, our traditional method, you know, is to use a routine test, mainly like Olson Bray, whatever, which is, you know, calibrated to whatever. You know, that that's fine. But that those calibrations are usually for a tri-state area or a whole state or, you know, whatever. Now, come on. this, this We're in the 21st century here. Yeah. You can't tell me that, look at Precision Ag. We can precisely put on, right, fertilizer uh, per on acre grids and whatever. You can't tell me that we can't do uh, yield prediction based on what we're seeing yeah. on a farm. If, we're, if we can get down to two-acre grids for fertilizer application, then we can damn sure get down to two-acre grids for what's available and what you need to you know do. Because I've always found it kind of interesting that we're doing this grid sampling and using these old extractants. What, what are you gaining? I don't yeah. you know. So there's no doubt. And every farm's different. You know that. You've got yeah. farms that are different. 
Yeah. We can't treat every farm the exact same way. And we have the technology to make better recommendations based Agreed. on all the field. Agreed. Every single, every single field um, is going to end up yeah, with different return to, to fertilizer and stuff. And that's basically what we're getting at for context for everyone. So like there's certain farms on our operation that I can put out a half a pound of nitrogen to get a bushel of corn. There's other farms where I need eight, nine tenths of a pound of nitrogen to get a bushel of corn because the, the inherent properties now of not inherent properties, but now the biological properties and function of the soil are different. My soils that are not as good, I've got to help them out more than my soils that are cranking and are functioning correctly. They don't need my help as much anymore. Yeah. Now we still put some out there because we're in Iowa and trying to go through and bush corn all the time, you sure. know, but, um, but yeah, absolutely seeing exactly what you're getting at. We're also seeing things, of course, balance out over time and things become more, more consistent over time because the biology is trying to find equilibrium. Yeah. But you were talking, you hit on something with the fine tuning of what cover crop species you should put out there based on the results and stuff. Maybe dig into that a little bit more. And is, are you talking like micronutrient type stuff as well, or looking at NPK, like, is essentially what you're saying is, hey, here's your nutrient limiting factors. Rather than address those limiting factors with fertilizer, let's address it with a cover crop. Is that what you're, what you're saying yes. we should, can do here? Yeah, and, and, and talking about that cover crop study we did where we pulled the plants out of the ground, whatever uh, soil came on the roots, we shook off into a bag. So we were actually running the Haney test on, rises, on the rhizosphere mm -hmm. uh, by plant using yeah. different plants. And that was so fascinating because it was like it was, we were basically asking the soil which cover crops it liked. And that, yeah, I don't see how that's you miss with that one. I mean, if, if they're going to tell you we really like this and we don't really like that, because we spent a lot of years research there trying to figure out what cover crop mix to, to get at. And, of course, right there towards the end before I retired, stumbled across this and was very excited, you know, and then I retired but yeah <laughs> i think there's something to that i, I, I think, think so too i mean because essentially soil will tell you what you need if, yeah, you, the, if you look at it correctly the, the plants are going to pump certain compounds into the soil they're going to interact with certain microbes that are going to interact with certain nutrient cycles and functions and that's where you're able to capture and we hear about like indicator species and stuff too of weeds that if you have nutrient imbalances the certain weeds will come and will flourish in those systems. We're basically like, it's kind of reverse engineering that almost it to, is. to choose the right species. And I remember having conversations with weed scientists uh, over the years, and like ragweed is a huge one, right? And ragweed does a fantastic job of, of producing itself. And I was like, why are you guys not studying what, what is it, what microbes does ragweed attract in the soil? is a different bunch. Are they bringing in a different bunch of microbes in there to do whatever, to yeah. ward off all area? You know, they're trying to figure out how to kill it. Let's figure out, which is fine. <laughs> Don't, which is fine. Yeah. But there should have been, I think, a bunch of research done in why is it uh, so Why are excellent. these plants doing so well? Yeah. So there's a reason. There's a genetic reason. That's right. Well, a lot of that ends up being, yeah, something to do with the biology, with the climate. I mean, it's the whole, it's, it's all of the system functioning together. But I think where my head's at with some of this too, is a lot of those nutrients that are interacting there, they're organic nutrients. 
Yeah. And I know you and I still have the arguments with, with academics and stuff about organic nitrogen. And they keep saying, no, the plants can only use nitrate and ammonium, not organic nitrogen, but walk us through that a little bit more. Cause to me, it just makes no sense. Like the plant is taking organic, like that's how legumes work. They have organic nitrogen. They're able to uptake that organic nitrogen. The plant in the plant, the plant converts it to organic nitrogen anyway. Why would it not interact with that? But it's still the argument being made that it's got to be nitrate and ammonium. And I look at our soil results where our nitrate and ammonium together never get above 10 part per million. I'm like, well, we must be not able to grow anything out here. You know, our organic nitrogen is 60 part per million. Our inorganic is less than 10 part per million. Like, and then the crop does great. And that isn't showing any firing or nothing. Well, they plants have been taken organic. When we say, and when we say organic nitrogen, we're not talking about just a, just a, a an ammonium molecule. We're yeah. talking about nitrogen connected to carbon, right? And so they take that up, and then they chew all that up. They get energy out of breaking those bonds, and they've already got a nitrogen in the form that they could produce protein with. I mean, why wouldn't you do that? What yeah. what what makes us think that that molecule's too big? It's not. They, you know, they've proven that it's, it's that, and, and, and plus most, uh, herbicides are organic compounds, right? Can plants take those up? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> herbicides wouldn't work. So there's your, you know, so they, they, they have several things. They can, they can take it out of the organic nitrogen pool. They can take obviously ammonium straight up, which is why people like nitrification inhibitors, which I, I'm not a fan of, but yeah. because you're screwing up the cycle. Or they can take up nitrate. So they have three forms that they can do at any given time, plus the action of enzymes that we don't fully understand that they can sequester. And my guess is those enzymes are, are clipping those organic compounds up that have got nitrogens attached to them and putting them in there and then off they go. So yeah, the, the funnest part about all this is that there, there are so many unknowns yet. Yeah. It's so dynamic. There's so much going on in the soil that we're, we're at the tip of the iceberg here. And yeah. A lot, a lot of us think, oh, we've got this figured out. Well, no, if, if we had this figured out, then farmers would be the richest human beings on the planet. Yeah. And that's not the case. That's not the case. We're running out of time already. And obviously you and I can, we'll, we'll get you back on. We just want to do a quick kind of catch up and stuff. But along those same lines, what's some of your goal of what you want to be working on next? What do you, what are you trying to get figured out? What do you want to work on next? What do you, what's your goal here that you're going after well pour through all this data with you know total nutrient digest uh, and a haney test done on the same sample plfa and a haney test done on the same sample um, those are very insightful that those those kind of things are going to give us a deeper look at what's going on there and 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 take away some of the oh i'm running out of fertilizer if i don't you know follow this recommendation it's like well no or i'm running out of nutrients well no your tnds you know two thousand pounds of nitrogen and we're only extracting less than 1%, it's going to be all right. Peace of mind would be nice for some of those calculations for farmers, I think. If you get a recommendation, it makes you a little uncomfortable. Yeah. You come back with this data and say, look, you're going to be all right. Yeah, here's the proof behind it. And, um, and I mean, we're definitely seeing that too, where like, shoot, I mean, even on our farm, like we've cut back our fertilizer by like more than 50%, and it's scary. Because you don't know, oh, like, yeah. am I leave an opportunity on the table? You know, if we're trying to sell six, seven dollar corn, like, I don't want to leave any yield on the table. But it, it's with data that you can create that peace of mind to be able to show. No, I, I really don't 
need it. Like it's not doing me any good. And here's the data to back it up. Well, and again, it just, it's like what you're about, what I'm about. We're after efficiency here. Yeah. Not, we're not, Oh, no, no fertilizers. These are bad. You know, blah, blah, blah. we're not that we're, we're just like, let's put the right amount yeah. on to get the maximum potential. Yeah. That's, and what's, that's what's great now. I mean, back full circle on what's happening with carbon intensity, <laughs> being able to tell that complete picture and being able to utilize data to drive that, I think really enables some opportunity for farmers here. Finally providing, here's the scoreboard and here's the point system and you get paid based on scoring points. Like that is just so right. And it's finally like starting to be yeah. here for the sustainable yeah. ag space. And we'll, and we'll be able to tweak that and, and get that down to where it needs to be, yeah. uh, you know, a little more accurately. And, and then I think, you know, yeah, I can't tell you the times when, you know, guys have come back with, you know, oh, my God, this is where I'm at. Uh, you know, this is so awesome. I'm, I'm headed the right direction. That yeah, is yeah. critically important right. yeah. thing to arrive at. Yeah, 100%. And, um, and I think seeing a lot of that, you know, there's a lot of horror stories out there this year with cover crops screwing things up. If guys aren't doing it, things are right way are getting a little too aggressive. I think a lot of people a little too aggressive. We saw some of that on our farm too, small scale, getting too aggressive. We've got to, you know, our soils aren't in a full regenerative resilience system yet. We've only really been pushed on this since 2016. We need to be patient, but things are absolutely moving in the right direction and we're, we're getting there. So it's been fun to be able to see, you know, this stuff continuing to pick up even in the, what, I don't know, seven, eight years that you and I've been hanging out here now. Like there's some good things going, I think with this and, and um, uh, it's been great, you know, obviously continuing to stay tied in with stuff you have going on, the stuff Lance has going on, continuing to keep pushing things here. So it's in a good spot. But anyway, okay. It was just a quick catch-up kind of stuff. Any any final thought here? Else, obviously we'll we'll get you back on again, keep digging in. We'll probably end up doing a more like live webinar type stuff as well, rather than just you and me hammer through a bunch of different topics in a short 25-minute chat. Yeah. I think that I think the future is exciting. I, I think there's a lot that we're gonna learn yet, and that's the most exciting part. It's learning seeing things we haven't seen before, trying to understand what they are, implementing them to make farmers more efficient uh, in their systems, whether that be monetarily, water use, every, you know, everything. We can always get better. 100%, 100%. We'll leave it at that. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. Thanks for listening in to today's episode of the Topsoil Podcast. If you want to learn more about Continuum Ag, you can find us at continuum.ag. And if you like this episode, please give us a review or share us with your friends. And if you would like more information on Stout Seed, find us at stoutseed.com or look me up on social media at Seed Junkie. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening.